Now, guys, death is uh, death is one of those things that we experience in our lives uh, that can be very extremely painful, isn't it? It can be one of those things that's very difficult to get through, right? And those of you that have ever lost someone that you loved and cared for in your life, you you know exactly uh, what that feels like to to know. Uh, you, you know, there's a lot of sheer, a lot of tears. There's a lot of there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain, right? So oftentimes there's a gut level sorrow. That is very difficult to even put words to really describe, you know, that feeling if you've ever lost someone that you really love. You know, when I was entering my sophomore year of high school, I received a phone call from one of the girls um, at school during summer break. Uh, it was really odd that she was calling um, the house. Um, she, she was going out with one of my good friends. You know, they were going out, they were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. And it was odd that she would call me. Of course, guys, this was before cell phones, no text messages. This is... We had a, a home phone. It was a landline. Some of you don't know what that is uh, quite yet, but it was a, a phone that was at home attached to a wall. And she called the house, and I picked up, uh, and, and, and she gave me news that no one ever wants to receive. You never want to receive uh, this type of news. She called me uh, to, to let me know in our group of friends at the time that my good friend George passed away um, during summer vacation. And as you can imagine, even to a lesser young Less, a, a more young, less mature version of myself, it was news that totally knocked the wind out of me. Uh, to hear my peer, my friend, that just a couple weeks ago, before summer break, we were hanging out and roaming the, the hallways at school, had passed away. She told me about the funeral arrangements and such, and so I, I attended the funeral along with our little clique, our little group of friends at that time that summer. And as I stared at his 15-year-old lifeless body in the casket, paying my final respects, all I could hear in the background was the uncontrollable wailing of my friends in tears and crying. It was a truly sad sight as, you know, he was so young, so tragic, and a, and a group of his high school buddies just uncontrollably weeping at his passing. In today's passage, what we're looking at in John chapter 11, these are the emotions of the people that we just read about. As we read about the passing of a dear beloved brother and friend, his name was Lazarus. And Lazarus left behind two sisters and a bunch of friends who were tragically mourning his death. In fact, it's in this story that we read uh, one of the shortest verses uh, the shortest verse in the entire Bible, for those of you that you know want to conquer Bible jeopardy, this is it. It's in John chapter 11. It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible, and perhaps it's the one verse that humanizes Jesus the most, uh, one of his most natural human reactions, God in human flesh. John chapter 11, verse 35. It's in your notes. It says this, simply put, Jesus wept. If you've ever experienced grief, if you've ever experienced heartache, if you've ever experienced hardship or mourning, Jesus understands because he felt it too. If you've ever shed a tear or, or yelled out a cry of desperation, so has Jesus. He gets it. And if you read through chapter 11 of John carefully, you'll see that Jesus is getting ready to teach the audience of his day and even each and every single one of us today, right now, this Easter Sunday, he wants to teach us a very important lesson. 
And this is especially relevant for us today as we celebrate the biggest holiday on the Christian calendar, Easter, which is all about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the lesson. Here's the big idea, because I know some of you, some of you guys just came to church, you want to take a nap. Before you do that, here's the big idea. If you take out your message notes, here's the first fill in the blank. Here's the big idea. So when you get home, you can tell mom, look at what I learned, okay? (laughs) Here's what it is. Here's the big idea. Jesus is life and gives life. Jesus is life and gives life. That's the whole idea of what Jesus is about to teach us. Now, some of you may know the story of Lazarus, uh, but let me refresh your memories a little bit. This guy that passed away, uh, Jesus hears the news of his good friend Lazarus. He finds out that he's definitely ill and he's about to pass away. Everyone is mourning his passing, including Jesus. Uh, Jesus is beyond uh, uh, beyond uh, relief of, of any sort of controlling of his sentiments and his emotions. Uh, but as Jesus hears about the grave condition of his friend and eventually of his passing, Jesus does not decide to pay a visit, or to even say his last goodbye or pay his respects. And this is what's fascinating about Jesus is that he hears about his dear friend Lazarus and he doesn't even go and visit, say goodbye, and pay his last respects. In fact, he waits four days, four days before he even heads to Lazarus' neck of the woods. Now when he finally arrives, as you can imagine, imagine a whole neighborhood mourning around the loss of this dear brother, if you've experienced it, you know exactly what that feels like. And as Jesus comes in, remember Jesus had been walking around doing miracles, healing the sick. When when he arrives, finally, four days later, he's greeted by Lazarus' sister, grieving sister. And she tells him, if you had only been here, Jesus, where were you? You got word of this a long time ago. You should have been here. Couldn't you at least console us? Couldn't you at least be there so that we can have a shoulder to cry on? Couldn't you even at least be there to support us and encourage us during this difficult time? Let alone, you're doing miracles all over the place. Couldn't you do a miracle here? Where were you, Jesus, if you had only been here? I can only imagine the pain and the agony that she must have spoken with as she said these words. Overcome with grief and emotion, tears running down her face, sadness and confusion in her heart. But of course, Jesus too, he's moved to compassion. And he feels their pain. And in fact, feels the pain himself. And we just read that short verse, the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus, what did he do? Jesus wept. He was moved to compassion. He shed the same sorrowful tears. But then, he does the unthinkable. He does something uh, that we only read a handful of times. In the New Testament, we only read it a couple of times. He raises the dead. He literally calls out to Lazarus, who had been wrapped and laid in a tomb. And he yells in a loud voice. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And all of a sudden, nothing short of a miracle, life enters the body of Lazarus. And he walks out the grave. Fully alive again. And we only read things like this, these type of miracles, only a handful of times in the New Testament. He does the unimaginable. He gave life to a man who had been dead. And in the middle of all this, Jesus says these words in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. It's on the screen and it's in your notes. These are the words that Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, 
Even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And I think there's, uh, there's three things that we can learn from this story. As we read the story of Lazarus, as we read Jesus calling himself the resurrection and the life, I think there's three, three big takeaways that we can really take away from this story, especially this Easter. And I would love for you guys to reflect on these three things specifically. I want to draw out as well these comparisons from the story of, of Lazarus and to us and try to compare so we can really see how this hits home to us. Here's number one in your notes. The first thing that we can learn is this, that we are all spiritually dead. We are all spiritually dead. Guys, the same way that Lazarus laid in a tomb, lifeless and helpless, I want you guys to realize that we too find ourselves in that same condition, though not physically, but spiritually. And this is an important conclusion that we all have to come to. And this is what Paul teaches us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1. I would love for you guys to read this verse out loud with me together. Guys, let's read it with great Easter enthusiasm. Ephesians 2, 1. Ready? Go. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And here's what Paul is saying in this verse. He's saying that you, me, your mama, everybody, we've all got something in common. And that is that before a holy and righteous and perfect God, we all fall ridiculously, incredibly short. We all have sin and we all sin. And that sin causes a break in our relationship with God. Now listen, you guys get this, right? If you've ever had a good friendship, think about a good friendship that you had, a relationship, a friendship, and one friend hurts the other, what happens? Maybe they told a lie, right? Maybe, maybe they let them down, that you know you were holding them accountable to something and they let you down. Maybe something was stolen. You say, how could they do something like that? You loaned them money and they never paid you back, right? Then what happens when you have two good friends and that happens, then the relationship is what? It's broken, And when the relationship is broken, depending on the gravity of the offense, a distance is created. Trust is shattered. Communication is not the same. And I bet you, you probably even keep your distance from them even now, right? Why? Because the relationship is broken. And that's what our sin did with our relationship with God. Our sin broke our communion, the communion that we had with God And with that broken relationship, there's an eternal distance that is created between us and between God. We become spiritually dead. And when something is dead, it's good for nothing. Lazarus in the grave was helpless and he was not much help. Listen, Lazarus in the grave, he couldn't take out the garbage. Lazarus couldn't hold a conversation. He couldn't make you coffee. Lazarus was dead. He couldn't do anything. You need to realize that in our spiritual deadness, we're good for nothing. This is important because some people believe that you can basically be a good person and earn your way to heaven. Or you can pray 30 male Harry's and, and pay your way to heaven. Or you can give a bunch of money to charity. But in our spiritual deadness, we cannot do anything. And this Easter, I want you to realize That the greatest need that you and I have is our spiritual vitality. It's not a better job. It's not more money. It's not a bigger house. It's not more in the 401k. Our greatest need is not physical and it's not emotional. It's spiritual. And apart from Jesus, 
We are spiritually dead. But the good news for us this Easter morning is number two in your notes, that Jesus gives life. Jesus gives life. Now in the middle of all the sadness that everyone is experiencing, everyone is crying and mourning over the death of Lazarus, Jesus comes and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he commands that they open the tomb in which Lazarus' lifeless body had been laying for four days. And he speaks words of life and he says, Lazarus, come out. And because Jesus' words give life and bring power, Lazarus is raised to death. And this is because Jesus is not any ordinary man, right? Only because he was God in human flesh. Don't none of y'all go to the cemetery later and start talking to tombs and say, come out. Because nothing's going to happen. But Jesus is God in the flesh. And because he was the embodiment of God on earth, Lazarus, even in his state of deadness, has to obey the words of the giver of life. And he walks out of the grave. You see, Jesus is God's response to our spiritual deadness. Because we are sinful and we are dead in our sin and our trespasses. And because we cannot even approach God in our condition. God does the unthinkable. God does the unimaginable. Creator God enters His creation to redeem His creation. God's standard, guys, is perfection. God's standard is holiness. The Bible says be holy. But none of us can do it. Be perfect. None of us can comply. No one can meet God's standard because of our sinful condition. Our very nature is sinful. Listen, we are born sinners. We are sinful not only in what you do. You're sinful in how you think. You're sinful in your heart and your motives. Even if you prevent yourself from doing something stupid, your mind done done it already. Right? We are sinful in not only in action, but in, in motive and thought. And God's standard is holiness. And without it, no one can enter the presence of God. And what our sin merits is eternal separation and damnation. What our sin merits is eternal separation. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's rejection. You guys need to understand this. But God, in His great love for us, He doesn't leave us in our fallen state. God doesn't leave us where we are. Instead, He provides a way out of our spiritual deadness. And what's the answer? You guys know it. Say it out loud. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Because Jesus lives the life that you or I could not live. He lives the perfect and sinless life. He met God's standard of holiness and, and sinlessness. Jesus met that for you and for me. But because God's wrath must be satisfied and sin must be atoned for, Jesus surrenders his life, though he didn't deserve punishment, and he takes death in our place. Guys, this is what Easter is all about. I know you thought it was about the bunnies and the eggs, but this is what Easter is all about, is that Jesus, the God-man, lived the life that we could not live and died the death, the wretched death that you and I deserve. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, what you owe for your sin, the price for that is death. And Jesus says, I'll pick up the bill. The Pharisees, the scribes, and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had Jesus arrested for proclaiming that he is God. And then Jesus faced 
He faced the worst of capital punishments of his day. We're not talking about a lethal injection here. We're not talking about the electric chair. We're talking about a Roman crucifixion. This sentence of the death penalty was left for the worst of the worst criminals. It was meant to torture. It was meant to humiliate. And and it was to cause the most amount of suffering before ultimately killing the person by means of asphyxiation. The Roman soldiers whipped Jesus' back with a tool with which had sharp edges that were made of glass and bone. The whip would get caught into the person's flesh and it would literally rip out pieces of flesh off of their body. Oftentimes, people that suffered a a, a Roman flogging, their internal organs would be exposed because of how brutal the beating was. Then, they forced Jesus in his weakened state near death to carry the wooden uh, cross with which he would be um, crucified on and mounted upon. And as he walked by, as he climbed up the mountain, People laughed at him. People mocked at him. They spat at him. Others glanced with looks of judgment and condemnation. And it was a truly humiliating experience. And once at the top of the mountain, they laid Jesus upon the wooden cross. And then they put nine-inch nails through his wrists and through his ankles. And then they propped him up for everyone to see, to see his bloody and lifeless body. And to top it all off at the final moments of Jesus' life with the weight of the world's sin on his back, God turns away. God turns away from him. God could not look at the sin that was on his son and turns away. Not only had Jesus experienced the abandonment of all his friends and family during this whole ordeal, but now God, his father, cannot look on him because of our sin imputed on Jesus. And then Jesus yells in his final moments of desperation. He yells out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then with no more air in his lungs, unable to breathe, he hangs his head and he dies. The giver of life gives his life in place for you, in place of me. They remove his battered body off the cross and they place him in a tomb. Now, if the story finished there, it truly would be a very sad story. But it wouldn't be good news. But you see, the good news is that Jesus is made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Three days later, God raises Jesus from the grave. Jesus conquers Satan's sin and death. He stomps the head of the serpent, and he is raised victoriously by the power of God. And while you experience the forgiveness of sin in his death, in his life, we experience newness of life. Jesus gives life. And as we are spiritually dead, the way Lazarus was dead, We are made spiritually alive by the power of Christ. Guys, this is good news. And what do you need to do? So Danny, what do I got to do to receive this free gift? What do I need to do to go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive? Jesus told us in the passage, number three, in your notes, 
Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. All we need to do is believe in Jesus. It's simply to put your faith in Jesus. That's it. This is God's free gift of grace. That Jesus died in your place. He atoned for your sin. That he robbed death. And he makes us righteous before God. And all you need to do is put your faith in him. Guys, this is good news. This is what Easter is all about. This is why we celebrate. This is why we spend time to celebrate and remember what Jesus did. And this is why we are overwhelmed with joy. Because we were spiritually dead, incapable of doing anything. But the good news is that Jesus did everything. And on the cross, Jesus yelled the words, It is finished. And Christianity is solely based on this truth. truth, That the tomb is empty and that Christ is risen. Guys, if this were not true... We would have no basis for our forgiveness of sin. We would be without hope and, we would be, and our faith would be pointless. If the tomb is not empty and Jesus is not raised from the grave and alive and well, interceding on our behalf in heaven, what are we doing here on a Sunday? If this is not true, our faith is pointless. But we base everything around this fact. Jesus said he is the resurrection and the life. Is that true or was he full of baloney? If that statement is true, then there's only one option for you. And that is to believe in Him. Not in religion. Not in your ability to live a good or charitable life. Because ultimately, no matter how good you think you are outwardly, you're spiritually dead. Remember, dead people are good for nothing. The only option is that if the tomb is empty, if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, like He said, then the only option is to believe in Him. But listen to me, God loves you so much that he gives you a chance to put your faith in him, to believe in him, or not. If he forced you to put your faith in him, to believe and to follow him, could you genuinely call that love? It's only out of love. He gives you that option. Here's the truth. Here's good news. If he's the resurrection and the life, then the only option is to surrender to him, to give your life to him, accept him, make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But he doesn't coerce you, he doesn't force you, he doesn't obligate you. No one is any under any obligation today. So what are you going to do? If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then the only option is to believe in him. But the decision is yours. Let's pray. God, I thank you that this Easter Sunday you remind us that you are the resurrection and the life. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that apart from you, God, we are spiritually dead in our sin and our trespasses. And that, man, we're sinful not only in deed, but um, as well in, in, in thought and in motive. But God, I thank you that even in our spiritual deadness, You give us a life, and you make us alive, God. And I thank you for providing Jesus to atone for my sin and to die in my place for my sin. God, I pray for those that are on the crossroads of their faith. Um, God, I pray that you would help them to see uh, you as the resurrection and the life, God, and that we would all uh, put our faith in you, that we would believe in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.